Season's greetings. Every year, the Columbus Civic Theater presents Charles Dickens' famous novella, A Christmas Carol, as a stage production with music, featuring a dozen actors performing 27 characters and singing many of our most loved carols. Due to the pandemic, our theater was closed in June, so our cast and artistic team have created the following radio play podcast with narration, sound effects, and music. It has been provided to you, the listener, free of charge and was funded by the Greater Columbus Arts Council, numerous civic donors, and the Columbus Foundation. Please visit www.columbuscivic.org for a complete cast list with biographies and pictures and ways you can donate to help the civic find a new home. And now, enjoy A Christmas Carol. Humbug! Marley was dead, to begin with. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the story I am going to relate. The register of his burial was signed by Scrooge himself, and Scrooge's name was good for anything he chose to put his hand to. Heh. <laughs> Humbug. Scrooge was Marley's sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole friend, and sole mourner. He never painted out old Marley's name, so there it stood years afterwards, above the warehouse door, Scrooge and Marley. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Secret and self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. Bah! Humbug! Nobody ever stopped him in the street to say with gladsome looks, My dear Mr. Scrooge, how are you? When will you come to see me? No beggars implored him to bestow a trifle. No children asked him what it was o'clock. No man or woman ever once in all his life inquired the way to such and such a place of Scrooge. But what did Scrooge care? It was the very thing he liked. Well, once upon a time, of all the good days in the year on Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. It was cold, bleak, biting weather. The city clocks had only just gone three, but it was quite dark already. The door of Scrooge's counting house was open that he might keep his eye upon his clerk, who in his dismal little cell beyond was copying letters. Scrooge had a very small fire, but the clerk's fire was so very much smaller that it looked like one coal. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Uncle. God save you. It was the voice of Scrooge's nephew who came upon him so quickly. Ah! Humbug! Christmas a humbug, Uncle. You don't mean that, I am sure. I do! Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? What reason have you to be merry? You're poor enough! Oh, come then. What right have you to be dismal? What reason have you to be morose? You're rich enough. Ah! <laughs> humbug! Oh, don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be when I live in a world of fools as this? 
Merry Christmas. Out upon Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year older, but not an hour richer. Oh, if I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled with his own pudding and buried with a stick of holly through his heart. <laughs> Uncle! You keep Christmas in your own way. Let me keep it in mine. Keep it? <laughs> but you don't keep it. Well, let me leave it alone, then. Much good may it do you. Much good has it ever done you? Hmm. Now, there are many things from which I might have derived good by which I have not profited, I dare say. Uh, Christmas among the rest. But I am sure I have always thought of Christmas time as a kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. The only time, in fact, that I know of in the long calendar of the year where men and women seem by one consent to open their shut-up hearts freely and to think of people below them as if they were really fellow passengers to the grave and not just another race of creatures bound on other journeys. Hmm. And therefore, uncle, though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I believe that it has done me good, will do me good, and I say God bless it. The clerk involuntarily applauded, but becoming immediately sensible of the impropriety, he stopped. Let me hear another sound from you, Cratchit, and you'll keep your Christmas by losing your situation. Oh, don't be angry, Uncle. Uh, come, uh, dine with us tomorrow. No, thank you. Uh, but why? Why not? Why did you get married? <laughs> because I fell in love. Oh, because you fell in love. Ha! Nay, Uncle, but you never came to see me before that happened. Why give it as a reason for not coming now? I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Why cannot we be friends? Good afternoon. I am sorry, with all my heart, to find you so resolute. We have never had any quarrel to which I've been a party. So, a Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Good afternoon. His nephew turned away without an angry word notwithstanding. He stopped at the outer door to bestow the greetings of the season on the clerk who, cold as he was, was warmer than Scrooge. Uh, Bob, is it right? Yes, sir. Uh, how are you getting on? Very well, sir. And all of the lovely young Cratchits, how are they? Looking forward to Christmas, as it were, sir. And the little lame boy, which one is he? Tim, sir. Ah, uh, how is he? Oh, in good spirit, sir. Well, Merry Christmas to you, Bob. And you, sir, a Merry Christmas. Bob, in letting Scrooge's nephew out, had let two other people in. They were portly ladies, pleasant to behold, and now stood, with their hats off, in Scrooge's office. They had books and papers in their hands, and bowed to him. Have I the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge or Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead these seven years. As a matter of fact, he died seven years ago this very night. We have no doubt his liberality is well represented by his surviving partner. At the ominous word liberality, Scrooge frowned and shook his head. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons. And the workhouses? Are they still in operation? They are. 
still I wish I could say they were not. The treadmill and the poor law are in full vigour then. Both very busy, sir. No. I was afraid from what you had said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. I'm very glad to hear it. Under the impression that they scarcely furnish Christian cheer of mind, body to the multitude, a few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy the poor some meat and drink and means of warmth. They choose this time because it is a time of all others when want is keenly felt and abundance rejoices. What shall I put you down for? Nothing. You wish to be anonymous. I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, that is my answer. I don't make merry myself at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help to support the establishments I have mentioned. They cost enough. And those who are badly off must go there. <laughs> Many can't go there. And many would rather die. Well, if they'd rather die, then they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Besides, it's not my business. Isn't it, sir? It's not. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon, ladies. Seeing clearly that it would be useless to pursue their point, the women withdrew. Scrooge resumed his labors with an improved opinion of himself and in a more facetious temper than was usual with him. Meanwhile, the fog and darkness thickened so, and the cold became intense. The brightness of the shops made pale faces ruddy as they passed. The owner of one scant young nose, a young boy, stooped down at Scrooge's keyhole to regale him with a Christmas carol. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. Be gone with you! <laughs> At length, the hour of setting up the counting house arrived. With an ill will, Scrooge dismounted from his stool and tacitly admitted the fact to the expectant clerk, who instantly snuffed his candle out and put on his hat. You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose. If quite convenient, sir. It is not convenient, and it is not fair. If I was to stop half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound. Yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay a day's wages for no work. It's only once a year, sir. A poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Well, I suppose you must have the whole day. You'll be here all the earlier next morning. Yes, sir. Merry Christmas, sir. Yeah, Merry Christmas, sir. You are clerk on 15 shillings a week with a wife and a family talking about a merry christmas i'll retire to bedlam and scrooge walked out with a growl the office was closed in a twinkling and the clerk with the long ends of his white comforter dangling below his waist ran home to camden town as hard as he could pelt scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern and beguiled the rest of the evening with his banker's book and then went home to bed. He lived in chambers which had once belonged to his deceased partner. Out of convenience and frugality, Scrooge kept on Marley's devoted charwoman, Mrs. Dilber. Twenty-some years I've been working here. Although I am seeking a more suitable position, if I ain't out of keeping with the situation. They were a gloomy suite of rooms, and the yard was so dark that even Scrooge, who knew its every stone, had to grope with his hands. 
Now it is a fact that there was nothing at all particular about the knocker on the door, except that it was very large. It is also a fact that Scrooge had seen it night and morning during his whole residence in that place. Let it also be borne in mind that Scrooge had not bestowed one thought on Marley since his last mention of his seven years dead partner that afternoon. And then let any man explain to me, if he can, how it happened that Scrooge, having his key in the lock of the door, saw in the knocker, not a knocker, but Marley's face. Eh? As Scrooge looked fixedly at this phenomenon, it was a knocker again. Coming inside, he did pause with a moment's hesitancy before he shut the door, and he did look cautiously behind it first, as if he half expected to see Marley's pigtail sticking out. But there was nothing and closed the door with a bang. The sound resounded through the house like thunder. Scrooge was not a man to be frightened by echoes, so up he went, not caring a button for that. Darkness is cheap and Scrooge liked it. But before he shut his heavy door to his bedchamber, he walked through his rooms to see that all was right. He had just enough recollection of the face to desire to do that. Sitting room, bedroom, lumber room, all as they should be. Nobody under the table, nobody under the sofa, a small fire in the grate, spoon and basin ready, and the little saucepan of gruel. Nobody under the bed, nobody in the closet. Quite satisfied, he closed his door and locked himself in double locked himself in, which was not his custom. Thus secured against surprise, he put on his dressing gown and slippers and his nightcap and sat down before the fire to take his gruel. Then a disused bell that hung in the room began to swing. It swung so softly in the outset that it scarcely made a sound, but soon it rang out loudly. And then so did every bell in the house. This might have lasted half a minute, or a minute, but it seemed an hour. The bells ceased as they had begun, together. They were succeeded by a clanking noise deep down below, as if some person were dragging a heavy chain over the cask in the wine merchant's cellar. The cellar door flew open with a booming sound, and then he heard the noise much louder on the floors below, then coming up the stairs, then coming straight towards his door. Jacob? Marley? The same face. The very same. Marley in his pigtail, usual waistcoat, tights and boots. The chain he drew was clasped about his middle. It was long and wound about him like a tail, and it was made of cash boxes, keys, padlocks, and heavy purses wrought in steel. His body was transparent so that Scrooge, observing him and looking through his waistcoat, could see the two buttons on his coat behind. He looked the phantom through and through and saw it standing before him, though he felt the chilling influence of its death-cold eyes and marked the very texture of the folded kerchief bound about its head and chin, he was still incredulous and fought against his senses. How now? What, what do you want of me? Much. What are you? Ask me who I was. All right, all right. Who were you then? You're very particular for a ghost. 
In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Humbug. Humbug, I say! You don't believe in me? I don't! What evidence would you have beyond that of your senses? I don't know. Why do you doubt your senses? Because a little thing affects them. The slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheat. You may be a bit of undigested beef, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of gravy about you, wherever you are. <coughs> humbug, I tell you, humbug! At this, the spirit took off the bandage round its head, and its lower jaw dropped down upon its breast. Scrooge fell upon his knees and clasped his hands before his face. Mercy, dreadful apparition! Why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do. I do, I must. But why do spirits walk the earth? And why do they come to me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide. And if that spirit goes not forth in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world, oh, woe is me, and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth and such a happiness. You are fettered. Tell me why. I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will, and of my own free will I wore it. Would you know the weight and length of the strong coil you bear yourself? It was full as heavy and as long as this seven Christmases ago. You have labored on it since. It is a ponderous chain. Jacob, old Jacob Marley, tell me more. Speak comfort to me, Jacob. I have none to give. A very little more time is all permitted to me. In life, my spirit never rode beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hall. Now I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. No rest. No peace. Incessant torture of remorse. But you were always a good man of business, Jake. Ah, business! Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. At this time of the rolling year, I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to afford a boat? Were there no poor hopes to which its light would have conducted me? Hear me. My time is nearly gone. I will. But don't be hard upon me. Pray. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. 
the chance and hope of my procuring Ebenezer. Oh, thank you. You were always a good friend to me. You will be haunted by three spirits. Uh, is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? It is. Uh, I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first when the bell tolls one. Couldn't I take them all at once and have it over, Jacob? Expect the second at the next hour, and the third when the last stroke of three has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more. And for your own sake, remember what has passed between us. When it had said these words, the specter took its wrapper from the table and bound it round its head as before. It walked backward, and at every step it took, the window behind him raised itself a little, so that when the specter reached it, it was wide open. Scrooge became aware of confused noises in the air incoherent sounds of lamentation and regret, waiting inexpressibly sorrowful and self-accusatory. The apparition, after listening for a moment, joined in the mournful dirge and floated out upon the bleak, dark night. Scrooge followed to the window and looked out. The air was filled with phantoms, wandering hither and thither in restless haste and moaning as they went. Every one of them wore chains like Marley's ghosts. Some few were linked together, none were free. Many had been personally known to Scrooge in their lives. The misery with them all was clearly that they sought to interfere for good in human matters, but had lost their power. Scrooge scrambled into bed, but then he remembered on a sudden that the ghost had warned him of a visitation when the bell tolled one. He resolved to lie awake until the hour was past, and considering that he could no more go to sleep than go to heaven, this was perhaps the wisest resolution in his power. The hour itself, and nothing more. Light flashed up in the room upon the instant, and the curtains of his bed were drawn aside, and Scrooge, starting up into a half-recumbent attitude, found himself face to face with the unearthly visitor who drew them. It was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man, viewed through some supernatural medium. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white, as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and round its waist was bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. It held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand, but the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head there sprung a bright, clear jet of light. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. 
long past? No, your past. Spirit, if you could, cover your light. What? Would you so soon put out with worldly hands the light I give? Is it not enough that you are one of those whose passions made this cap and forced me through whole trains of years to wear it low upon my brow? I meant no offense, spirit. What business brings you here? Your welfare. Oh, for that you might have let me sleep. <laughs> Your redemption, then. Take heed. Rise and walk with me. It would have been in vain for Scrooge to plead that the weather and the hour were not adapted to pedestrian purposes, that he was clad but lightly in his slippers, dressing gown, and nightcap. The grasp, though gentle as a woman's hand, was not to be resisted. He rose, but finding that the spirit made towards the window, clasped his robe in supplication. I am a mortal and liable to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand there, and you shall be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road with fields on either hand. The city had entirely vanished. Not a vestige of it was to be seen. Good heaven! I was bred in this place! I, I was a boy here! He was conscious of a thousand odors floating in the air, each one connected with a thousand thoughts and hopes and joys and cares long forgotten. Your lip is trembling. And what is that upon your cheek? Nothing. You recollect the way? <laughs> I can walk it blindfold. They walked along the road, Scrooge recognizing every gate and post and tree until a little market town appeared in the distance. They left the high road and soon approached a mansion of dull red brick. It was a large house, but one of broken fortunes. The walls were damp and mossy, the windows broken, and the gates decayed. These are but shadows of things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. Why, I was at school here. Mm, the school is quite deserted. A solitary young man, neglected by his friends, is left there still. I know. And Scrooge sat down and wept to see his poor forgotten self as he used to be. I wish, oh, but it's too late now. What is the matter? Nothing. Nothing. There, there was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I should like to have given him something, that's all. The ghost smiled thoughtfully and waved its hand. Scrooge looked at the ghost and with a mournful shaking of his head, glanced anxiously towards the door. It opened and a little girl came darting in and putting her arms around his neck, kissed him. Dear, dear brother, I've come to bring you home, dear brother. To bring you home, home, home. Home, little fun? Yes, home for good and all, home forever and ever. Father's so much kinder than he used to be, that home's like heaven. He spoke so gently to me one dear night when I was going to bed, that I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should. And he sent me in a coach to bring you. You're to be a gentleman and are never to come back here. But first... We're going to be together all Christmas long and have the merriest time in all the world. You are quite a woman, little fan. 
She clapped her hands and laughed and tried to touch his head, but being too little, laughed again and stood on tiptoe to embrace him. Always a delicate creature whom a breath might have withered, but she had a large heart. So she had. You're right. I will not gainsay it, spirit. God forbid. She died a young woman and had, as I think, children. <laughs> One child. True. Your nephew. Yes. Let us see another Christmas. Although they had but that moment left the school behind them, they were new in the busy thoroughfares of a city where the ghost stopped at a certain warehouse door and asked Scrooge if he knew it. Know it? I was apprenticed here. They went in. At the sight of an old gentleman in a Welsh wig sitting behind a desk, Scrooge cried. Why, it's old Fezziwig. Bless his heart, it's Fezziwig alive again. Old Fezziwig laid down his pen and looked up at the clock, which pointed to the hour of seven. He rubbed his hands, adjusted his ample waistcoat, laughed all over himself, and called out in a comfortable, jovial voice, Yo-ho there! Ebenezer! Dick! Scrooge's former self, now grown a young man, came briskly in, accompanied by his fellow apprentice. Dick Wilkins, to be sure! Bless me, yes, there he is! Yo-ho, my boys! No more work tonight! It's Christmas Eve, Dick! Christmas, Ebenezer! Now let's have the shutters up before a man can say Jock Robinson. Hilly ho! Cried old Fezziwig, skipping down from the high desk with wonderful agility. Uh, clear away, me lads, and let's have lots of room here. Hilly ho, Dick! Tear up, Ebenezer! Clear away! It was done in a minute. Every movable was packed off, the floor swept, and the lamps were trimmed. Fuel was heaped upon the fire, and the warehouse was as snug and warm and dry and bright a ballroom as you would desire to see upon a winter's night. In came a fiddler with a music book and made an orchestra of it. In came Mrs. Fezziwig, one vast substantial smile. In came the three Miss Fezziwigs, beaming and lovable. In came the six young followers whose hearts they broke. In came all the young men and women employed in the business, the housemaid, her cousin, the baker, the cook, and her brother's particular friend, the milkman, the boy from over the way who was suspected of not having enough to eat. In they all came, one after another, some shyly, some boldly, some gracefully, some awkwardly, some pushing, some pulling. In they all came, anyhow and everyhow. And there was cake and there was a great piece of cold roast, and there were mince pies and plenty of beer. But the great effect of the evening came after when the fiddler struck up Sir Roger de Coverley. Oh, Miss Bell, may I have this dance? Yes, Finally, when the clock struck eleven, this domestic ball broke up. Mr. and Mrs. Fezziwig took their stations, one on either side of the door, and shaking hands with every person individually as he or she went out, wished him or her a Merry Christmas. A small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Small? 
Ha! Why? Is it not? He has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money. Three or four, perhaps. Is that so much that he deserves this praise? It isn't that, spirit. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. Saying that his power lies in the happiness he gives is quite as great as if it cost a... a fortune. What is the matter? Nothing particular. Something, I think. No. No. I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all. Ah. Well, now see yourself in love, Ebenezer. The spirit waved her arms slowly and quiet engulfed the scene, where Scrooge's younger self was found sitting with his beloved Belle in the winter's night. It's only a token ring, Belle, but one day exchange for a gold one. It's beautiful, but I mustn't accept it. Not good enough. Because I'm not rich enough. How foolish you are. Of course not. We are still very young. You may have a change of heart one day. My dearest Belle, if ever I had a change of heart towards you, it, it would be because my heart has ceased to beat. And it makes no difference that I'm poor. Poor and not proud and foolish. Will you always feel that way? Forever and never. Then I shall accept your ring. Oh, Belle. Ebenezer. God bless you, Belle. From now to eternity, we two are as one. His former self turned down the lamps as he gave utterance to the wish, and Scrooge and the ghost again stood side by side in the open air. My time grows short. Quick. This was not addressed to Scrooge or to anyone whom he could see, but it produced an immediate effect, and Scrooge cried out, No, spirit! Not here! Yes, here. That remarkable young woman, sister to Scrooge, lay prostrate on the bed in the darkened chamber holding an infant, dying with an attendant at her side. Fun? It's me, your brother. Fun? Ebenezer. I sent for you. Promise me. I promise you what, Fan? I'll promise you anything, dearest. Only there isn't going to be any need. You're going to get well again. Fan. No. Oh, you are. You are. Dear God, you must. Fan, you can't die. Fan, you mustn't die. You're going to get well again. Fan. Fan, you're going to get well again. Oh, how could you have brought me here? Have you no mercy? No pity? Ebenezer. Brother? Ebenezer? Promise me, you'll take care of my boy. Promise me, you'll take care of my... Her arm became limp and fell to her side. Oh, forgive me, Fan. Forgive me, forgive me, Fan. <laughs> now again, Scrooge saw himself. He was older now, a man in the prime of life. His face had not the harsh and rigid lines of later years, but it had begun to wear the signs of care and avarice. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young woman in a mourning dress, in whose eyes there were tears, which sparkled in the light that shone out of the ghost of Christmas past. Belle! Your fiancée, Belle. 
the same bell you swore to love to eternity. She is not changed by the harshness of the world, but you are. Then you no longer love me. You no longer love me. When have I said that? In words, never. In what way, then? In the way you've changed. But how have I changed towards you? By changing towards the world. <laughs> this is the even-handed dealing of the world. Is it such a terrible thing for a man to struggle for something better than he is? It's remarkable. The world that can be so brutally cruel to the poor professes to condemn the pursuit of wealth in the same breath. You fear the world too much. All your other hopes have merged into the hope of being beyond the chance of its sordid reproach. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one. What then? Even if I have grown so much wiser, what then? I am not changed towards you. Another idol has displaced me in your heart. If it can cheer and comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. Our contract is an old one. It was made when we were both poor and content to be so, until in good season we could improve our worldly fortune by our patient industry. You are changed. How often and how keenly I have thought of this I will not say. It is enough that I have thought of it, and can release you. Have I ever sought release? In words, no, never. In what, then? In a changed nature, in an altered spirit. Another hope is its great end. In everything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. If this had never been between us, tell me, would you seek me out and try to win me now? You think not. I would gladly think otherwise if I could. But if you were free today, tomorrow, yesterday, can I believe that you would choose a dowerless girl, you who weigh everything by gain, or choosing her if for a moment you were false enough to your one guiding principle to do so, do I not know that your repentance and regret would surely follow? I do, and I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. You may, the memory of what is past half makes me hope you will, have pain in this. A very, very brief time, and you will dismiss the recollection of it gladly as an unprofitable dream from which it happened well that you awoke. You know that I am right. I must bow to the conviction that you are. May you be happy in the life you have chosen. Thank you. <laughs> I shall be. Spirit, show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight to torture me? Remove me from this place. I told you these were but shadows of the things that have been. That they are what they are. Do not blame me. I cannot bear it. Leave me. Take me back. Haunt me no longer. Scrooge observed that the spirit's light was burning high and bright, and dimly connecting that with its influence over him, he turned away and shut his eyes. He was now suddenly conscious of being exhausted and overcome by an irresistible drowsiness and, further, of being again in his own bedroom, and he sank into a heavy sleep. <laughs> Awaking in the middle of a prodigiously tough snore and sitting up in bed to get his thoughts together, 
Scrooge felt that he was restored to consciousness in the right nick of time for the especial purpose of the arrival of the second spirit. He was ready for a good broad field of strange appearances, and nothing between a baby and a rhinoceros would have astonished him very much. But, being prepared for almost anything, he was not by any means prepared for nothing, and consequently when the bell struck two and no shape appeared, he was taken with a violent fit of trembling. Then noticing a blaze of ruddy light which streamed in from beneath his door, he got up softly and shuffled in his slippers to the door. The moment Scrooge's hand was on the lock, a strange voice called him by his name. <laughs> Enter Ebenezer Scrooge! It was his own room. There was no doubt about that, but it had undergone a surprising transformation. The walls and ceiling were so hung with living green that it looked a perfect grove from every part of which bright gleaming berries glistened. Heaped up on the floor to form a kind of throne were turkeys, great joints of meat, suckling pigs, long wreaths of sausages, mince pies, plum puddings, barrels of oysters, red-hot chestnuts, cherry-cheeked apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, immense cakes, and seething bowls of punch that made the chamber dim with their delicious steam. Upon this there sat a jolly giant, glorious to see, who bore a glowing torch in shape not unlike Plenty's horn, and held it up, high up, to shed its light on Scrooge as he came peeping round the door. <laughs> come in, come in! <laughs> know me better, man! Scrooge entered timidly and hung his head before the spirit. He was not the dogged Scrooge he had been, and though the spirit's eyes were clear and kind, he did not like to meet them. I am the ghost of Christmas presents. Look upon me! Scrooge reverently did so. It was clothed in one simple green robe or mantle bordered with white fur. On its head it wore no other covering than a holly wreath set here and there with shining icicles. Its dark brown curls were long and free, free as its genial face, its sparkling eye, its open hand, its cheery voice, its unconstrained demeanor, and its joyful air. You've never seen the like of me before? Never. <laughs> I've never walked forth with the younger members of my family? I don't think I have. I'm afraid I have not. Have you had many brothers, Spirit? <laughs> More than 1,800. Oh, a tremendous family to provide for. <laughs> the ghost of Christmas present rose. Spirit, conduct me where you will. I went forth earlier tonight on compulsion, and I learned a lesson which is working on me now. Now, if you have ought to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe. Scrooge did as he was told and held it fast. The room, the fire, the ruddy glow, everything all vanished instantly, and they flew above the city streets on Christmas morning. The sky was gloomy, and there was nothing very cheerful in the climate or the town, and yet there was an air of cheerfulness abroad. The people were jovial and full of glee, and Scrooge and the merry spirit went on, invisible, as they had been before, into the suburbs of the town, straight to the home of Scrooge's clerk. On the threshold of that door the spirit smiled, and stopped to bless Bob Cratchit's dwelling with the sprinkling of his torch. 
Is there a peculiar flavor in what you sprinkle from your talk? There is. My own. Would it apply to any kind of dinner on this day? To any kindly given. To a poor one most. Why to a poor one most? Because it needs it most! There are some on this earth of yours who lay claim to know us and who do their deeds of passion, pride, ill will, hatred, envy, bigotry, and selfishness in our name, who are as strange to us and all of our kith and kin as if they had never lived. Remember that, and charge their doings on themselves, not us. Mrs. Cratchit was decked out but poorly in a twice-turned gown, but brave in ribbons, which are cheap and make a goodly show for sixpence, she laid the cloth assisted by Belinda Cratchit, second of her daughters, also brave in ribbons, while Master Peter Cratchit plunged a fork into the saucepan of potatoes and getting the corners of his monstrous shirt collar into his mouth, rejoiced to find himself so gallantly attired and yearned to show his linen in the fashionable parks. And now two smaller Cratchits, boy and girl, came tearing in, basking in luxurious thoughts of sage and onion. These young Cratchits danced about the table. What has ever got your precious father, then? And your brother, Tiny Tim? And Martha weren't as late last Christmas day by half an hour. Here's Martha, Mother. Oh, my dear, bless your heart alive, how late you are. We had a deal of work to finish up last night and had to clear away this morning, Mother. Well, no matter, so long as you've come. Sit you down before the fire, my dear, and have a nice warm. The Lord bless you. Oh, oh, there's Father coming. Hide, Martha, hide. So Martha hid herself, and in came Bob, the father, with at least three feet of comforter hanging down before him, and his threadbare clothes darned up and brushed to look seasonable, and Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Alas for Tiny Tim, he bore a little crutch and had his limbs supported by an iron frame. Why, where's our Martha? Not coming. Not coming. Not coming? Not coming on Christmas Day? Yes, I am, Father. I can't bear to let them tease you. <laughs> Why, bless your heart. It never would have been Christmas if they had kept you late. Is the pudding still singing in the carver? Yes, come and hear it. His active little crutch was heard upon the floor, and into the kitchen he went, escorted by his brother and sister. Sit you by the fire and have a nice warm, my love. The Lord bless you. I never did think I'd get away. We had to clear away this morning, and then I ran all the way so as to be here in time. Martha! Coming! How did little Tim behave in church? As good as gold and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things you ever heard. He told me, coming home, he wasn't going to feel shy if people looked at him because he was a cripple, as it might be pleasant for them to remember upon Christmas Day who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. And then they were back to work. Mrs. Cratchit made the gravy, Master Peter mashed the potatoes, Miss Belinda sweetened up the applesauce, Martha dusted the hot plates, Bob took Tiny Tim beside him in a tiny corner at the table. The two youngest Cratchits set chairs for everybody, not forgetting themselves. At last the dishes were set on, and the grace was said. Now, has everyone got a drink? I do, so. Good, but before I give the toast, I have a piece of momentous information for all, and Master Peter in particular. Master Peter? Why, that's you, Peter. What is it, Father? 
Master Peter, now grown to full estate and dignity as the son of the house and looking every inch the grand fellow he is. I have my eye on a new situation for him, which, if obtained, will bring him full five and sixpence weekly. Mm. You'll be quite the independent gentleman now, Peter. What next, I wonder? Then a toast to a Merry Christmas. God bless us. God bless us. God bless us, everyone. There never was such a goose, and eked out by applesauce and mashed potatoes, it was a sufficient dinner for the whole family. Finally, Mrs. Cratchit entered, flushed but smiling proudly with the pudding, like a speckled cannonball so hard and firm, blazing in a bit of ignited brandy and bedecked with Christmas holly stuck into the top. What a wonderful pudding! And Tiny Tim was moved to say once again... God bless us, everyone. Tim sat very closely to his father's side upon his little stool. Bob held his withered little hand in his, as if he wished to keep him ever by his side, and dreaded that he might be taken from him. Spirit, tell me, will Tiny Tim live? I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner, and a crotch without an owner carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my way shall find him there. Oh, no. No, kind spirit, say that Tiny Tim will be spared. Why? If he'd be like to die, he'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Scrooge hung his head to hear his own words quoted by the spirit and was overcome with penitence and grief. Man! Man, you be in your heart not adamant. Forbear that wicked cant until you've discovered what surplus is and where it is. Will you decide what men shall live, what men shall die? <laughs> it may be that in the sight of heaven you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor man's child. Scrooge bent before the ghost's rebuke and trembling cast his eyes upon the ground but he raised them speedily upon hearing his own name. I give you Mr. Scrooge, the founder of the feast. Oh, the founder of the feast, indeed. I wish I had him here. I'd like to give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, the children, Christmas. Oh, it should be Christmas, I am sure, on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, hard-feeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is Robert. No one knows it better than you do. My dear, Christmas. I'll drink his health for your sake, and the days, not for his. A long life to him. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Mr. Scrooge! He'll be very merry and very happy, I have no doubt. The children drank the toast after her. It was the first of their proceedings which had no heartiness. Tiny Tim drank it last of all, but even he didn't care for it. Scrooge was the ogre of the family. The mention of his name cast a dark shadow on the party, which was not dispelled for full five minutes. At last the dinner was all done, the cloth was cleared, the hearth swept, and the fire made up. Then all the Cratchit family drew round the hearth. They were not a handsome family. They were not well dressed. Their shoes were far from being waterproof, but they were happy grateful, pleased with one another, and contented with the time, and looked happier yet in the bright sprinklings of the spirit's torch at parting. 
Scrooge had his eye upon them, and especially on Tiny Tim, until the last. By this time it was getting dark and snowing pretty heavily. The lamplighter who ran on before them, dotting the dusky street with specks of light, laughed out loudly as the spirit passed, though little kinned the lamplighter that he had any company but Christmas. And now, without a word of warning from the ghost, they stood upon a bleak and deserted moor where monstrous masses of rude stone were cast about, as though it were the burial place of giants. What place is this? A place where miners live who labor in the bowels of the earth, but they know me. Listen. A light shone from the window of a hut, and swiftly they advanced towards it. Passing through the wall of mud and stone, they found a cheerful company assembled round a glowing fir tree singing a Christmas song. The spirit did not tarry here, but bade Scrooge hold his robe, and passing on above the moor, sped whither? It was a great surprise to Scrooge, while listening to the moaning of the wind, and thinking what a solemn thing it was to move on through the lonely darkness to recognize his own nephew's house, and to find himself in a bright, dry, gleaming room, with the spirit smiling by his side, and looking at that same nephew with approving affability. <laughs> and he said that Christmas was a humbug as I live, and he believed it too. More shame for him, Fred. She was very pretty, exceedingly pretty, with a dimpled, surprised-looking capital face, a ripe little mouth that seemed made to be kissed. He's a comical old fellow, that's the truth. And not so pleasant as he might be. However, his offenses carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. Being thoroughly good-natured and not much caring what they laughed at, he encouraged them in their merriment and passed the bottle joyously. I'm sure he's very rich, Fred. <laughs> At least you always tell me so. What of that, my dear? His wealth is of no use to him. He doesn't do any good with it. He doesn't make himself comfortable with it. He hasn't the satisfaction of, <laughs> of thinking that he's ever going to benefit us with it. I have no patience with him. Oh, I have. I'm sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Uh, who suffers by his ill whims? Himself, always. Here, he takes it into his head to dislike us, and he won't come and dine with us. What's the consequence? He doesn't lose much of a dinner. <laughs> Indeed. I think he loses a very good dinner. Oh, I was only going to say that the consequence of his taking a dislike to us and not making merry with us is as I think that he loses some pleasant moments, which could do him no harm. I mean to give him the same chance every year, whether he likes it or not, for I pity him. Now, he may rail at Christmas till he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it, and I defy him. If he finds me going there in good temper year after year, saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? If it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk 50 pounds, that's something. And I think I shook him yesterday. Now, I have a game. Oh, here's a new game! One half hour spirit, only one! The game is called Yes and No. I shall think of something, and you all must ask me questions to discover what it is. But I may only answer yes or no, so question accordingly. All right, I think I have something in mind. Ask away. Is it an animal? Yes. Is it a live animal? Yes. Is it a horse? Uh, no. A cow? Uh, no. Is it led by someone? No. 
Does it live in a menagerie? <laughs> no. Is it rather a disagreeable animal? Uh, yes. An ass? <laughs> no, you. A bull? Uh, no. Oh. Is it a savage animal? Yes. A tiger? Uh, no. An animal that growls? Yes. A bear? Nope. A dog? Uh, no. A cat? No. One that grunts? Uh, yes. A pig? Uh, no. Can it talk? Yes. Does it live in London? Yes. Does it walk about the streets? It does. I have found it out. I know what it is, Fred. I know what it is. What is it? It's your Uncle Scrooge. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought you said it wasn't a bear. Ah, <laughs> oh, he has given us plenty of merriment, I am sure. And it would be ungrateful not to drink his health. Here is a glass of mulled wine ready to our hand at the moment, and I say, Uncle Scrooge. Uncle Scrooge! A Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to the old man, whatever he is. <laughs> he wouldn't take it from me, but may he have it nevertheless. Uncle Scrooge. <laughs> the whole scene passed off at the breath of the last words spoken by his nephew, and he and the spirit were again upon their travels. It was a long night, if it were only one night, but Scrooge had his doubts of this because the Christmas holidays appeared to be condensed into the space of time they passed together. It was strange, too, that while Scrooge remained unaltered in his outward form, the ghost grew older and clearly weaker. Are spirits' lives so short? My life upon this globe is very brief. It ends tonight. Tonight? Tonight. Hark! The time is drawing near. I hear the cries of the unwanted and the forgotten. Have they no refuge or resource? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Scrooge looked about him for the ghost and saw it not. As the last stroke ceased to vibrate, he remembered the prediction of old Jacob Marley and lifting up his eyes beheld a solemn phantom draped and hooded, coming like a mist along the ground towards him. It was shrouded in a deep black garment which concealed its head, its face, its form, and left nothing of it visible save one outstretched hand. Its mysterious presence filled him with a solemn dread. I am in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come. The spirit answered not but pointed onward with its hand. You are about to show me shadows of the things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Is it not so, spirit? Although well used to ghostly company by this time, Scrooge feared the silent shape so much that his legs trembled beneath him, and he found that he could hardly stand when he prepared to follow it. Ghost of the future, I fear you more than any specter I have seen. But as I know, your purpose is to do me good. And as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, I am prepared to bear you company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? It gave him no reply. The hand was pointed straight before them. Lead on, lead on. The night is waning fast. And it is precious time to me, I know. Lead on, spirit. The phantom moved away as it had come towards him. Scrooge followed in the shadow of its dress, which bore him up and carried him along. 
They scarcely seemed to enter the city when the spirit stopped beside one little pair of businessmen. Observing that the hand was pointed to them, Scrooge advanced to listen to their talk. No, I don't know much about it either way. I only know he's dead. When did he die? Last night, I believe. Why, what was the matter with him? I thought he'd never die. <laughs> so did he, I dare say. Mm. Ah, what has he done with his money? I haven't heard. Left it to his company, perhaps. He hasn't left it to me, that's all I know. <laughs> it's likely to be a very cheap funeral, for upon my life I don't know of anybody to go to it. Oh, suppose we make up a party and volunteer. I don't mind going, if a lunch is provided. <laughs> <laughs> Scrooge knew the men and looked towards the spirit for an explanation and found none. He looked about in that very place for his own image, but another man stood in his accustomed corner, and though the clock pointed to the usual time of day for being there, he saw no likeness of himself among the multitudes. Quiet and dark beside him stood the phantom with his outstretched hand. They left the busy scene and went into an obscure part of town where Scrooge had never been before, a low-bowed beetling shop below a penthouse roof where iron, old rags, bottles, bones, and stolen goods were bought. Sitting in among the wares he dealt in by a charcoal stove made of old bricks was a gray-haired rascal, nearly seventy years of age, who had screened himself from the cold air by a curtaining of miscellaneous rags hung upon a line, and smoked his pipe in all the luxury of calm retirement. Scrooge and the Phantom came into the presence of this man just as a woman with a heavy bundle slunk into the shop. It's me! Yes, it was Mrs. Dilber, Scrooge's housekeeper. But she had scarcely entered when another woman, also heavily laden, came in too, and she was closely followed by a man in faded black, who was no less startled by the sight of them than they had been upon the recognition of each other. After a short period of blank astonishment in which the old man with the pipe had joined them, they all three burst into a laugh. Hello, Joe. Huh? Hi, Joe. Joe. Well, come on then. No, let the laundress go first. No, no, dear, you was here first. After you, I'm sure. <laughs> but look here, old Joe. Here's a chance. If we haven't all three met here without meaning it, if the chow lady, the laundress, and the undertaker haven't all met here at the same time without meaning it. <laughs> oh. uh, you couldn't have met in a better place. Uh, you was made free of it long ago, you know. And the other two, they ain't strangers. <laughs> <laughs> We're all suitable to are calling. We're all well matched. Who goes first? What odds then? What odds, Mrs. Dilber? All match up the ones. Everyone's got a right to take care of themselves. He always <laughs> did. Well, that's true indeed. No one more so. Why then don't stand staring as if you was afraid, woman? Who's the wiser? We're not going to poke holes in each other's coats, I suppose? No, indeed. We should hope not. Very well, then. Who's the worst for the loss of a few things like these? 
not a dead man, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> if he wanted to keep him after he was dead, the wicked old screw, why wasn't he amiable in his lifetime? If he had been, he'd have had somebody to look after him when he was struck with death. Instead of lying, gasping out his last there, alone, by himself. Mm, it's the truest word that was ever spoke. It's a judgment on him. Oh, I wish it were a heavier one. <laughs> and it would have been if I could have laid me hands on anything else. Mm. We knew pretty well we was helping ourselves before we come here, I believe. It's no sin. Open that bundle, old Joe, mm. and let me know the value of it. I'm not afraid to be the first. No, no, I'll go first. Just to show we all got trust in one another. It's very polite of you. I do cry, I'm sure. Watch, a seal, a pencil case, slave buttons, a brooch. Eight shillings. And I wouldn't give you another six pence, not if I was boiled for not doing it. <laughs> Who's next? I will, I will. Always a lady, dear. I shall have to insist you all stop and watch mine, now that we're all so open and above with each other. <laughs> two sheets, two towels, shirt, teaspoons, two silver... Sugar tongs, foods assorted, and flour. <laughs> Seventeen and six. I always gives too much to the ladies. It's a weakness of mine, and that's how I come to ruin myself. <laughs> but if you ask for another penny, I'd repent of being so liberal and knock off off a crown. <laughs> now undo my bundle, Joe. Now, what do you call this, eh? Bed curtains? <laughs> Bed curtains. <laughs> you, you took them down, rings and all, with him liar in there? Yes, I did. Why not? You was born to make your fortune, ma'am, and you'll certainly do it. I certainly shan't hold my hand when I can get anything in it by reaching it out. For the sake of such a man as he was, I promise you, Joe. Miss <laughs> Blanket. Whose else's do you think? He isn't likely to take cold without him, I dare say. He didn't die of anything catching, did he? Don't eh? you worry about that. I ain't so fond of his company that I'd loiter about him for such things if he did. Oh, you can look through that shirt till your eyes ache. <laughs> but you won't find a hole in it, nor a threadbare place. It's the best he had, and a fine one, too. They'd have wasted it if it hadn't been for me. What do you mean, wasted it? Well, they'd have buried him in it, of course. Oh. Somebody was fool enough to do it, but I took it off again. <laughs> As if Calico ain't good enough to bury him in. <laughs> anyway, it's just as we come into the body. <laughs> He couldn't have looked uglier than what he did in this one. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh. poetic justice. He frightened everybody away from him when he was alive to profit us when he was dead. 
Scrooge listened to this dialogue in horror. Spirit, I see. I see. The case of this unhappy man might be my own. My life tends that way now. There was no response from future, and the scene faded. If there is any person in the town who feels emotion caused by this man's death, show that person to me, spirit, I beseech you. The phantom spread his dark robe before him for a moment like a wing, and withdrawing it revealed a room by daylight where a mother and her children were. She was expecting someone, and with anxious eagerness, for she walked up and down the room. At length, the long-expected knock was heard. She hurried to the door and met her husband, a man whose face was careworn and depressed, though he was young. There was a remarkable expression in it now, a kind of serious delight and suppressed laughter, of which he felt ashamed, and which he struggled to repress. Is it good news or bad? Oh, bad. Are we quite ruined? No. There is hope yet, Caroline. If he relents, there is. Nothing is past hope if such a miracle has happened. He is past relenting. He is dead. (gasps) Oh. Oh. She was a mild and patient creature if her face spoke truth, but she was thankful in her soul to hear it, and she laughed. She prayed forgiveness the next moment and was sorry, but the first was the emotion of her heart. Remember when I tried to see him and obtain a week's delay, and it was given what I thought was a mere excuse to avoid me? It turns out to have been quite true. He was not only very ill, but dying then. But to whom will our debt be transferred? I don't know. But before that time, we shall be ready with the money. And even though we were not, it would be bad fortune indeed to find so merciless a creditor in his successor. We may sleep tonight with light hearts, Caroline. (laughs) Yes, soften it as they would, their hearts were lighter and brighter, and it was a happier house for this man's death. The only emotion that the ghost could show him, caused by the event, was one of pleasure. Let me see some tenderness connected with this death. The ghost conducted him through several streets familiar to his feet, and as they went along, Scrooge looked here and there to find himself, but nowhere was he to be seen. They entered poor Bob Cratchit's house, the dwelling he had visited before, and found the mother and the children seated round the fire. The noisy little Cratchits were quiet now, as still as statues in one corner, and sat looking up at Peter, who had a book before him. The mother and her daughters were engaged in sewing. There was a small vacant stool in the chimney corner, and a lonely little crutch without an owner. And he took a child and set them in the midst of them. The mother laid her work upon the table and put her hand up to her face. Mother. Should I go on? It's the light. It hurts my eyes. They're better now. Just weak for a moment. I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home for all the world. It must be near his time. Past it, rather. But I think he has walked a little slower than he used these past few evenings, Mother. I have known him to walk. I have known him to walk with Tiny Tim on his shoulder very fast indeed. 
And so have I. Often. And so have I. But he was very light to carry, and your father loved him so that it was no trouble. No trouble. And there is your father at the door. She hurried out to meet him, and little Bob and his comforter, he had need of it, poor fellow, came in. His tea was ready for him. Then the two young Cratchits got upon his knees and laid each child a little cheek against his face, as if they said, Don't mind it, father. Don't be grieved. I'm a little late, my dear. Please forgive me. But look how well you're coming along with these. You shall be done long before Sunday. You went today, then, Robert? Yes, my dear. I wish you could have gone. It would have done you good to see how green a place it is. But you'll see it often. I promised Tim that we would walk there on a Sunday. My little child. My little, little child. There, my love. I must tell you, my dear, I had the good fortune to meet Mr. Scrooge's nephew in the street today. We've only met but once, yet he recognized me and greeted me most kindly. I'm afraid my face must have betrayed me. I confess I may have looked just a little down, you know, for on seeing me he inquired what had happened to distress me, upon which, for he is the pleasantest spoken gentleman you ever heard, I told him. I am heartily sorry for it, Mr. Cratchit, he said, and heartily sorry for your good wife. By the by, how he ever knew that, I don't know. Knew what, my dear? Why, that you are a good wife. Everybody knows that. Very well observed, my boy. I hope they do. Heartily sorry, he said, for your good wife. If I can be of any service to you in any way, he said, giving me his card, that is where I live. Pray, come to me. Now, it wasn't for the sake of anything he might be able to do for us, so much as for his kind way, that this was quite delightful. It really seemed as if he had known our tiny Tim, and felt with us. I'm sure he's a good soul. You would be surer of it, my dear, if you saw and spoke to him. I shouldn't be at all surprised, mark what I say, if he got Peter a better situation. Only hear that, Peter. It's just as likely as not one of these days, though there's plenty of time for that, my dear. But however and whenever we part from one another, I am sure we shall not one of us forget poor tiny Tim, shall we? Or this first parting there was among us. No, Father. And I know, I know, my dears, that when we recollect how patient and how mild he was, although he was a little, little child, we shall not quarrel easily among ourselves and forget poor tiny Tim in doing it. No, Father. I am very happy. I am very happy. Spectre, something informs me that our parting moment is at hand. I know, but I know not how. The ghost of Christmas yet to come conveyed him, as before, until they reached an iron gate enclosing a small churchyard. Here, then, the wretched man, whose name he had now to learn, lay underneath the ground. The spirit stood among the graves and pointed down to one. Before I draw near to that stone to which you point, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be? Or are they the shadows of things that may be only? 
Still the ghost pointed downward to the grave by which it stood. Men's courses will foreshadow certain ends, to which, if persevered in, they must lead. But if the courses be departed from, the ends will change. Say it is thus with what you show me. The spirit was immovable as ever, and Scrooge crept towards the stone, trembling as he went, and following the finger read upon the neglected grave his own name, Ebenezer Scrooge. No, spirit, oh no, no, spirit, hear me. I am not the man I was. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Assure me that I yet may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three shall strive within me. Oh, tell me I may sponge away the writing on this stone. Holding up his hands in a last prayer to have his fate reversed, he saw an alteration in the phantom's hood and dress. It shrunk, collapsed, and dwindled down into a bedpost. Yes, and the bedpost was his own. The bed was his own. The room was his own. Best and happiest of all, the time before him was his own to make amends in. Oh, Jacob Marley, heaven and the Christmas time be praised for this. I say it on my knees, old Jacob, on my knees. He was so flustered and so glowing with his good intentions that his broken voice could scarcely answer the knock on the door. Come in. Good morning, sir. Oh, oh good morning, Mrs. Dilber. Tell me, what day is it? What day? Why, it's Christmas Day, of course, sir. Christmas Day? Christmas Day? Christmas? Well, then I haven't missed it. The spirits must have done everything in one night. Well, of course they can do anything, can't they? Of course they can. Yes, they can. Are you quite yourself, sir? <laughs> I, I don't know. No, I'm not. Oh, I hope not. What? Oh, the curtains are still here. They're still here. You didn't, you didn't tear them down and sell them. They're no. here. Everything's here. I'm here. Oh, and the shadows of things that would be can still be dispelled. Oh, and they will be. I know, I know they will be. Oh, yes. I, 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 <laughs> I don't know what to do. I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as, as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. Why, I, I never... <laughs> Merry Christmas, Ebenezer, you old humbug. <laughs> and a happy new year. <laughs> as if you deserved it. <laughs> oh, and a Merry Christmas to you, Mrs. Dilber. Same to you, sir. Oh, thank you. And many, 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 many more of them. Oh, likewise. Oh, look, Mrs. Dilber. Here is where the spirit of Christmas present sat. What? And down here, here is where the ghost of Jacob Marley stood. Oh, oh. 
Oh, and that's where I saw the wandering spirits. Wandering spirits. Oh, it's right. It's all true. It all happened. Oh, I don't know how long I've been amongst the spirits. No, uh-huh. oh, no, 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 no. Please, Mrs. Dilber, please. I am not mad. Here, Mrs. Dilber. What's this? A guinea? A what for? Oh, I'll give you one guess. To keep me mouth shut? <laughs> no, 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 Mrs. Dilber. It's for a Christmas present. A Christmas present? For me? Yes, for you. Merry Christmas, dear Mrs. Dilber. <laughs> uh, now, how much do I pay you? Two shillings a week. What? Two shillings? <laughs> it is forthwith raised to ten. <gasps> Ten shillings a week? Eh, are you sure you don't want to see a doctor? <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> Nor the undertaker. <laughs> now off you go and enjoy yourself. Bob's your uncle. Merry Christmas, Mr. Scrooge. In keeping with the situation. <laughs> Scrooge was now standing there, perfectly winded. Really, for a man who had been out of practice for so many years, he had a splendid laugh, a most illustrious laugh, the father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. Running to the window, he opened it and put out his head. Golden sunlight, heavenly sky, sweet fresh air, merry bells. Oh, it was glorious, glorious! Scrooge laughed again and called downward to a boy in Sunday clothes who perhaps had loitered in to look about him. Hello, my fine fellow. Hello. Do you know the poulterers in the next street but one at the corner? I should hope so. Oh, an intelligent boy, a remarkable boy. And do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging up there? Uh, Not the little turkey, the, the big one. What? The one as big as me? Oh, what a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Yes, my buck. It's hanging there now. Is it? Go and buy it. Go? No, no, no. I am in earnest. Go and buy it and tell him to bring it here that I may give them the direction where to take it. Come back with the man and I'll give you a shilling. Come back with him in less than five minutes and I'll give you a half crown. The boy was off like a shot. He must have had a steady hand at a trigger who could have got a shot off half so fast. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit's. He shan't know who sends it. Oh, it's twice the size of Tiny Tim. The chuckle with which he said this, and the chuckle with which he paid for the turkey, and the chuckle with which he paid for the cab, and the chuckle with which he recompensed the boy, were only to be exceeded by the chuckle with which he sat down breathless in his chair again, and chuckled till he cried. Then he got up and dressed himself all in his best, and at last got out into the streets. He had not gone far when coming on towards him, he beheld the portly ladies who had walked into his counting-house the day before. It sent a pang across his heart to think how these ladies would look upon him when they met, but he knew what path lay straight before him, and he took it. Dear ladies, how do you do? I hope you succeeded yesterday. It was very kind of you. A Merry Christmas to you. Uh, Mr. Scrooge? Uh, yes, that is my name, and I fear it may not be pleasant to you. Allow me to ask your pardon. And 
Will you have the goodness to accept? Lord bless me! My dear Mr. Scrooge, are you serious? If you please, not a farthing less. A great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. Will you do me that favor? My dear sir, I don't know what to say. Oh, don't say anything, please. Come see me. Will you come see me? We will. Of course. Oh, thank you. I am much obliged to you. I thank you 50 times. Bless you, ladies. <laughs> he went to church and walked about the streets and watched the people hurrying to and fro and patted children on the head and questioned beggars and looked down into the kitchens of houses and up to the windows and found that everything could yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that any walk, that anything, could give him so much happiness. In the afternoon, he turned his steps towards his nephew's house. Is your master at home, my dear? The young maid nodded yes and offered to show him upstairs. Scrooge was led by the girl to a door, and a doorknob was his last obstacle. He turned it gently and sidled his face in round the door. Fred? Why, bless my soul. It's I, your Uncle Scrooge. I have come to dinner. Will you let me in, Fred? Let him in? It is a mercy he didn't shake his arm off. He felt at home in five minutes. It was a wonderful party, wonderful games, wonderful happiness. The next morning, Scrooge was early at the office to catch Bob Cratchit coming in late. That was the thing he had set his heart upon. The clock struck nine. No Bob. A quarter past. No Bob. He was full 18 minutes and a half behind his time. Hello. What do you mean by coming in here at this time of day? I am very sorry, sir. I am behind my time. You are? Yes, I think you are. Step this way, sir, if you please. It's only once a year, sir. It shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, sir. Now I'll tell you what, my friend. I am not going to stand for this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, and therefore, I am about to raise your salary. (laughs) Bob trembled and had a momentary idea of calling for a straitjacket. A Merry Christmas, Bob! A Merrier Christmas, my good fellow, than I've given you for many a year! I'll raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family, and we will discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop! Yes, sir! (laughs) Thank you, sir! Make up the fires and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another eye, Bob Cratchit! Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh, and little heeded them. For he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good at which some people did not have their fill of laughter in the outset. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. 
Ever afterwards it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well, if any man alive possessed the knowledge. May that truly be said of us, and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let us receive the Thank you all for listening. And don't forget, please visit www.columbuscivic.org for a complete cast list with biographies and pictures and ways you can donate to help the Civic find a new home. Happy Holidays! Wonders of his love and love.